We are going to be reading from Ephesians. There's uh, Bibles in the pews if you want to uh, use a, a Bible. The scripture is also up here on the screen. So we're reading Ephesians 5, 21 through 6, 9. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise, so that it may, be, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey, <clears throat> Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their, eyes, their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly, as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. May God's word shape us and form us. I get the wonderful pleasure and privilege of preaching out of Ephesians 5 through 6. Amen. And uh, we actually have been in an Ephesians um, series, and we're coming to the close <laughs> of the last two weeks of it. And when we're, Eric and I were talking about this, uh, this is the first week of Advent as well, and we were saying... Wondering if we should have, you know, should pause, go through Advent, go through the lectionary, and then finish off the Ephesians series. But 
uh, we decided that the, the next two weeks could fit into um, the theme that we want to bring out in Advent. And that is uh, one of counterweighting. So if you go to the, the, the Advent slide, uh, counterweight is the, the name of uh, the series right now that we're in Advent. And the word counterweight comes from the idea that you need a weight, right, to hold against an, a, a potential energy in order to later release that energy. So in Erica's case, she was explaining this, she was a discus thrower, a hammer thrower, right? So when you're, when you're throwing a hammer, I don't, I don't know how to demonstrate because I never threw a hammer, but when you're throwing a hammer and you're going in a circle, the weight of the hammer is pulling outward, right? It's a centripetal force, but you have to counterbalance that with you leaning back, right? So there's a counterbalance. So you can later slingshot that hammer out. I was a pole vaulter uh, <laughs> in track, and same concept. You're running with the pole, and when you plant the pole, you're dragging back. Your weight is dragging back while the pole is bending and moving forward so that at the right moment, you're thrusted forward and up, up and forward. So that's the idea of counterweight. But for our Advent series, we also spelled weight, not like weight, W-E-I-G-H-T, but weight, W-A-I-T, so that there's this kind of pun, double, mm. double meaning of counterweighting, right? That as people of God, as people of Jesus, we weight differently than the rest of the world, amen? Mm -hmm. We weigh differently. And so that's what Advent is. Advent is, you know, it's around the holidays, it's the time of Christmas. The world around us, the commercials, everything, it's the lights, right? It's the Black Fridays, the Cyber Mondays, the, I don't know, Terrific Tuesdays, whatever <laughs> it is. You know, the advertisers are in full, you know, Full bloom, they're, they're going for you. And a, a lot of it is dominated by consumerism and kind of like, Santa Claus is coming, right? <laughs> We're giving gifts and it's the holiday season. But as Christians, <clears throat> Advent means we are waiting. It's, there's a pregnancy. We're pregnant with hope and anticipation. And that doesn't just mean this passive, oh, I'm waiting, right? Like the, the great play, Waiting for Godot. We're just waiting for Godot. Right? But you're waiting actively, right? There's an intentionality in that waiting. And in the waiting, we're preparing. And that's, right, the definition of hope. What is hope? You're simply not just waiting, or hope is not just wishful thinking. Hope is you're postured towards a future that is different than the reality right now. And you're leaning into that future with faith, right? And you're, you're hoping in something. You're actively waiting. You're actively preparing. And so as a people, as a church, we come here in Advent, and you'll feel that buildup um, through the weeks um, in our liturgy, in the candle lighting, in the sermons, in the teaching. What does it mean to wait and anticipate and prepare for our coming Jesus? Amen. Are you with me, church? Um, so... We are at the infamous uh, submission passages. It's funny that we call it infamous because, you know, when, even when Walter was reading this, you could feel the tension, right? 
right? And, and, and it might be one of those uh-huh passages, like when someone says, why submit to your husbands? The husbands are like, uh-huh, right? This is what you're supposed to be doing. Or my favorite is children, obey your parents. And I look at my son, children, obey your parents. When I was a kid, my dad would always quote this, children, obey your parents, but this is right. And when I got a little older and more smart alecky, I would be like, and fathers, don't exasperate your children. And I got in big trouble. <laughs> um, but there's a lot of power in scripture. There's power in the word of God. There's power for good, but there's also the risk of abuse. Abusing scripture wrongly of using scripture to actually disempower people or put people in their place. Right? Because if you look at the main piece of this passage, right, the main piece is verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence of Christ. And if you remember, that's the verse that we ended on in the last passage. It's kind of the fulcrum between our two passages. Um, Submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. And when I think about submission and the word submit, I don't like it. Right? When I really think about submit, I do not like it. Um, you know, I'm a short man, and growing up I was always small, you know, kind of not, not so tall, but very competitive. Um, and so you could say I had a kind of short man disease, Napoleonic complex, whatnot, whatnot. And I used to hate it when my friends or peers, or anyone for that matter, patted my head. Right? Yeah. David. I, I'd be or the worst was when the girl I had a crush on patted my head. There, there, David, you're so cute. Ah! <laughs> right? Or you're meeting someone, uh, it's a business meeting or something like that, or you're meeting someone for the first time, and you're going in for the handshake, and you just misgripped. Right? You misgrip and somehow your pinky got folded under and their hand is just dominating your fingers and squeezing You're like, oh, can we just do that over? Oh, I gotcha. Right? And for those three seconds in the handshake, you're, you're like submitted to this person's hand and the strength of their hand. Uh, maybe you don't experience this, but this, maybe this is inside into my world. Uh, or getting beat to the to the lane uh, in driving. You know, anytime someone cuts you off, what's what some of our responses is? Frustration or anger, like, why did you cut me off? I remember uh, my dad, father getting cut off um, by a driver, and that guy like said something to him, uh, and my dad chased him like at 80 miles, 90 miles per hour for literally 45 minutes. I bet the guy was really scared. Like, he's not stopping. He's still chasing us. My dad's a pastor, right? <laughs> but uh, uh, other things, you know, getting squeezed on a bench, right? Someone tall with big legs comes in the car, the backseat of the car. Because I was smaller, they'd always say, oh, you sit in the middle. And I'm like... Why? It makes no difference whether I sit here or there. Why does the shorter person have to sit in the middle just because they're shorter, right? Is there like more space or something? 
And so uh, I would always get frustrated by that. And someone tall would come and sit down and they just spread their legs, right? Like, just, and you're, you're like, like this, and you want to like, make yourself bigger, right? It's hard to, we hate talking about submission, right? And you've seen the YouTube videos of Donald Trump, our president, um, and the handshaking, right? Have you seen those videos? He would go, when he goes into handshake with other world leaders, they had all these videos that showed how he would take the position of dominance right away. Like he'd grab their hand and pull it to him. And literally it's so pronounced that they were people that are like this. Right? So this has been going, this was going around, this was going around, and it's kind of like, what is this deal? Like this power play over a handshake. And then they showed this video of I think the Canadian Prime Minister. And it is so funny because apparently word got to him. And when it happened, when they shook hands, that you could see this like, because he did not let Trump pull his hand toward him. And it was just this arm wrestle, this moment of tension, like, oh, no. <laughs> but what are these little things, right, that make it hard for us, that uh, bring up feelings of disrespect or we're, we're being... We're being dominated. We're being disrespected. Um, and I think it's about, about submission, that there's something about submission that's countercultural, right? We're talking about counterweight, right? In our, in our culture, it's not an easy thing or it's not a successful uh, strategy to submit or to lay yourself down or to sacrifice or to put others before you or, or to elevate others with words um, and praise them before elevating yourself. It's really hard because there's not a lot of airtime, there's not a lot of resources, right? And there's a lot of competition in our world. And so we want to climb that ladder. We want to make space for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll get crowded out. It's natural. But it's very countercultural to talk about submission. And I've brought up this image before. It's the difference between the tower life and the plaza life. And let me fill that out. The tower, what is a tower? It's vertical, right? It goes up and down. Um, imagine, for instance, the Tower of Babel, right? And in the tower life, uh, everything is vertical, singular, and motion is upward and downward, right? And people and things are either you're either high on the tower or you're low on the tower. And status, how is status defined? Status is defined by verticality, right? How high you are in the tower. So that's the tower life. In the plaza life, plaza, right? Imagine the red square at Utah or some large plaza where there's a lot of, uh, there's a market, there's a lot going on, there's people bustling about and you know, haggling for prices. A plaza is horizontal. It's diverse. The motion is not up and down, but it's front, back, left, and right. Right? It's horizontal. And people are on the outskirts or near the center of a plaza. Right? And status is not so much defined vertically, right, by how high or low you are, but perhaps more relationally through the connections one has on this plane. Are you with me? Yeah. Power life, plaza life. 
And I think Paul and other writers of the New Testament are using the household codes, the Greco-Roman household codes, uh, and we addressed this a few weeks ago, the, house, the Roman house, the Greco-Roman household codes being uh, kind of a, a father, a father-led household, right? a patriarchy, where all of the household, the wives, the children, and also the servants and slaves and everybody economically connected to the household are under this father figure. And in fact, the whole, the entire empire of Rome was under the fatherhood of Caesar. And so this was kind of the building blocks of the Roman society, this, this hierarchical structure. Um, and there were roles for people. This is how a servant must be, act or behave. This is how a wife must act and behave. This is how children must act and behave in, in this household. But the other thing that we've discussed is how Paul is bringing another kind of vision, another inception into to the forefront of his readers. And that's, it's not the household of Caesar or the household of the world, it's God's household. I'm creating a new household um, that's reconciled. And in this case, the, uh, the church in Ephesus, it's a reconciled household between Jews and Gentiles where everyone is brought under the household of God and is adopt, are his adopted children. And so this new international, multicultural, reconciled community in order to break down the walls. And so you see that Paul is kind of flattening, right, taking this vertical world and saying, in God's household, we are reconciled and flattening, kind of being more relational, saying it matters how we relate to one another, right, and no one is above one another. So I think it's important to set that up because what Paul and the other New Testament writers are not doing is glorifying the household codes. They're not saying, yes, this is how God wants it. Everyone needs to know their place. And if someone doesn't need know their place, they need to be hammered down. And I think that's the, the problem with when people take scriptures like these out of context and use it not like verse 21 says, to su submit to one another out of respect and reverence for Christ, but to use scriptures to submit others to mm -hmm. you for your behalf. Does that make sense? Yes. How is that an application of the scripture? Mm. And in the history of even our country, scriptures like these have been used to hold people down. Yes. In the days of slavery, these scriptures were used in the churches to say, so slaves don't uprise, don't rebel, don't ask for freedom. It was used to justify slavery. These scriptures are used our churches today to say, no, this is what our leadership teams should look like. Mm. This is who should be at the pulpit. Mm. This is who should be a pastor and who should be preaching. But again, there's nothing, there's no challenge, there's no radical challenge to submit out of reverence for Christ, but more, it's a matter of making sure that people under you are submitting and held in their place. You can't teach because you're a woman. You can't lead because you're a woman. But the, the New Testament writers are using household codes to address the church 
and God's countercultural household. And in Ephesians, we've been talking about how a community of difference, of different people, can be one in Christ. How can a multicultural, multi-generational community reflect real unity with legitimate diversity? According to Paul, it's by submitting to one another out of respect for Christ. So submit to each other out of respect for Christ, 521. And you'll see uh, kind of common structure, common uh, similar words in Ephesians, uh, we are in Colossians 3, 14, 4 through 6, uh, household codes. And, the, and also in 1 Peter 2, 11, 3, 22. And the rhythm is the same. It's husbands and wives, father and children, masters and slaves. So you'll see these household codes. Um, and again, in historical context, these are based on the Greco-Roman household codes. And every household was a hierarchy uh, and a microcosm for the order for society and the life of gods and the whole universe. Everything had its place and everything had to fall into place in this order. Um, one commentator quoted, central to the prevailing philosophy of the day was the idea that a free man ruled over his household as a sovereign, exercising unilateral authority over his subordinate wives, children, and slaves. Preserving this household structure was thought to be critical to preserving society as a whole. Many Roman officials believed the household codes to be such an important part of the Pax Romana that they passed laws ensuring its protection. In fact, Christians were finding themselves at odds with some of these laws, particularly those governing widows, which is probably why Peter and Paul addressed them. Uh, that's Rachel Helen Evans. Paul and Peter are commenting on these systems that existed largely unchallenged, uh, not creating a new order, or creating a new order for Christian living. And I think it's like a poison pill. You guys know what a poison pill is? Uh, so back in the day, the Seahawks had an offensive lineman named Steve Hutchinson. And he was like the, the guy. Um, and we lost him to the Minnesota Vikings. And what happened was we, uh, it's complex, but they basically put a poison pill in his contract so that if we like, offered, offered him something, that that poison pill would kick in and would actually make it so he would it would be impossible for us to pay him and he would go back to the, the Minnesota Vikings. And so anyways, I didn't explain that very well. But the whole point of that is that uh, there is, I think in the kingdom of God, and I think what Paul and Peter are doing is planting a seed of subversion, right? A counterweight, a counter-cultural seed within the context of the day, right? They're not completely like, tearing down like how people are living, but they're planting the seed. And the seed and the assumption is submit to one another out of reverence of Christ. Because in your household codes, in the way that you're living, if you actually apply submit to one another, it is so radical for that time period. The things that he was saying for how husbands should love their wives, 
that if everyone applied that, it would slowly deconstruct right, the way that people were living, the way that family was happening, and flatten out the structures. And that's the way that Christians and the household of God should live. So there's some conformity, right? He's using the language of the day and the structure of the day, yet planting a seed of change. And if we look at uh, what men are required, let's just take the men, the fathers. There is a lot more emphasis on the men and fathers in the scripture than anyone. For all the finger pointing that we can do, ha, ah, see, 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 stay in your place. Men, be gentle with children. Don't exasperate your children. Love your children. Men, love wives as themselves. Love your wives as your own physical body. Love your wives more than you love yourself. Men, be kind to your servants, those who are under you. I'm just going to say that. Those who are under you or in your charge, be kind to them. Be kind to them. Right? And each, each kind of category of person has uh, their job to do, right? has their charge of submission. Right? But all of it is in relation to the father. Right? Wives, husbands. Children, fathers. Servants, masters. Yes, servants, submit. And do everything out of joy and good heartedness. Serve uh, with goodness and joy. Wives, submit to your husbands. Children, obey your, obey your parents. But it's three times right, for the father. Boom, 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 boom. Boom, boom, but it's boom, 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 right? You see how there's a deconstructing, right, of the, the pater familias, which is the Latin word, right? The, the dad's large and in charge, right? There's a deconstructed deconstruction of that male figure. And if the fathers in the household were to submit in the ways that Paul is suggesting, right, it would be a complete flattening out. It would look radically, radically different. And those are the questions we need to ask in community. I grew up a pastor's kid in the Korean church, so I know about how people respect the position of pastor, right, the male pastor in the Korean church. And how, you know, whether I knew it or not, our family, we were privileged, right? We would, people would give us food, we'd, get, we'd sit down, we'd eat first, right? Et cetera, et cetera. Nowadays, you know, as a pastor, part of me is like, oh, don't call me Pastor Dave. Just call me Dave, right? And so, but then people start calling me Dave, and I'm like, why do they call me Pastor Dave? <laughs> And they're like, Pastor Erica, Pastor Erica, hey Dave. I'm like, what? <laughs> What's up? What? It's because I'm short? Yeah. <laughs> um, and all the, all 
this like, my precious going on in my mind. <laughs> and I gotta take my medication so like it calms down. <laughs> but yeah, what would it look like for our leaders, our pastors, our teachers, our political leaders? And rather than lowering their positions over other people or making sure that they're at large and in charge or their agenda is going forward, are actually servants and laying their lives down. And this is what we learned at the top of chapter 5, right? Love one another as Christ loved you and gave up his life and sacrificed. And we talked about sacrificial love. Like, that's a hard word these days. To live a life of sacrifice, to live a life loving others sacrificially, that's really hard, right? I have a hard time letting my daughter watch the show she wants to watch when I'm watching my TV show. She's like, I want to watch cartoon. I'm like, no, I'm watching. Right? To live a life of sacrifice. As Jesus sacrificed for us, if you really live that out, our churches would look differently. Our governments would look differently. Our families would look different. Our households would look different. CNN news would look and sound different. There would be nothing to report. It would be boring. There's much joy in those. <laughs> There's no corruption in the land. And, you know, Democrats and Republicans are getting along and passing bill after bill in this show of bipartisanship and love, right? It's like, woo, everything is happy. Everyone is getting along, there's harmony. Because everyone is laying themselves down on behalf of one another and loving. And that's what Christian community is. That's who we are as a church, not a hierarchy or a tower or something that just reflects the empire around us. No one can tell the difference. But it should be something radically different. We should be a model and an example of love, of sacrificial love, and laying our lives down. And me saying, I'm Pastor Dave. I have a Masters of Divinity. I'm ordained. Look at my stall. And being like, man, I'm going to pick up the poo in the parking lot. That's all I'm and no, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna Instagram it. <laughs> no one will know. It's just poo was picked up <laughs> because I'm submitting myself out of reverence for Christ. Are you with me, church? Yes. Jesus said Himself, Matthew 20, 25 through 20. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Again, that's Matthew 20, 25 through 28. Jesus said it. This is the society. This is the community the beloved community that he's creating, that he wanted, that he envisioned, and that he's calling us to be as his body. 
His ambassadors in the world. Jesus changes everything. Jesus changes everything. It means we live differently. And all those things still come up. Like, I don't want to be a doormat. Right? I don't want people to step all over me. I don't want people to disrespect me. Oh, Christianity is just a crutch. Look at those soft men. Right? That Christianity produces. Religion is just the opiate of the masses. Yeah. But we, we believe. And that's what we, during Advent, in preparing, right, and waiting for the coming Christ who came as a mere child, as a baby in a manger, very humbly, Jesus wasn't trending when he was born. <laughs> and we do that. We wait. And in waiting, we strip away the things, right? The rat race, the competition, the striving. The striving and striving. And the competing and the fighting. And we say, Jesus, you tell me who I am. You tell me who you are. Come, Lord Jesus, be our gift in this season. Let's pray, God. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your challenge that we should submit to one another out of reverence for you. Thank you for your love that you came as a sacrifice, that you came, your incarnation, that you were willing to dwell among us, to, to set up camp in the neighborhood and be alongside us. And uh, help us, out of your grace and mercy and, and your Holy Spirit empowering us, help us to be downward mobile and to be servants, uh, to set, live sacrificially and to love humbly uh, those around us, especially those closest to us, our spouses, our children, our parents, our friends, help us to humble ourselves and submit to them, not out of some groveling and false humility, but to honor them and to bring about new possibility. Humility brings new possibilities to the forefront. And I pray that in this season, as we wait and we yield, you will bring new possibility to life. In your name we pray. Amen.